0: And I gave them into your land, into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in sincerity. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The word of the Lord. My health, my wife, my sons, my daughters, Around, it's literally like a bomb went off. Uh, you know, people living in tin shacks, uh, people having almost nothing, and, uh, and yet so many of them are so happy in uh, being with these pastors, who many of them had no more than a sixth-grade education. Yet were passionate for the Lord, were called, and wanted to serve. So it was a blessing to be able to teach them some theology and to encourage them. This passage is all about blessings. It's all about remembrance of what God has done in the Israelites' life. Joseph is dying. In fact, in Joshua 23, 14, he says, Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. And so God is going to take these Israelites on a journey. He's going to help them to do three things. Number one, he's going to help them to recount his blessings, all the blessings he showered upon them. Number two, he's going to challenge them to respond, to respond in faithfulness in light of his blessings. But finally, number three, he's going to make the rubber hit the road. He's going to make them choose. Choose this day who you will serve, Israel, for I am about to go the way of all the earth. Joshua teaches us an important lesson. And that is simply this, that the natural response to the goodness of God is our service of God. Well, let's look at these three points. Number one, recount his blessings. Notice Joshua saying that he's going the way of all the earth. But he says, you know with your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord gave you has failed. Think about that. You know with your heart and soul. In other words, I don't have to make this up. You've seen it you felt it. You've experienced it in, inside of you. Not one of the good promises that I gave you has failed. Every promise has come true. Remember, some of these promises were given as far back as 600 years ago to Abraham. I will give you this land, and your people will inherit it, and your descendants will be like sand on the seashore. Every promise has been fulfilled. And then Joshua goes on to recount these series of victories that God has given them. In verse eight, the Amorites on the east coast, Og and Shihon. And then the Moabites in chapter nine and ten, Balak and Bala. And then crossing the river, we all know the story of Jericho, where the walls came tumbling down, the most fortified city in the east, and yet it fell to the Israelites. And then all these other tribes, the Amorites and the Gergeshites and the Hivites and the Parasites. Says God. Verse 12, and I, God, sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. It was not by your sword or your bow. He's saying that I sent the hornet before you. He's speaking in the singular. What does that mean? What he's talking about is the sting of Israel, the sting of God. Indeed, wherever this word is used in other places in the Bible, terror goes along with it. It was God that went before the Israelites and brought the sting of the Lord and they melted before him. See, God says, I gave you victories, but I also gave you an inheritance. Verse 13, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built. You eat the fruit and olives of these orchards you did not plant. Look at all of this inheritance. Now why is Joshua doing this and taking this time? He wants to renew the covenant between the people and God. This agreement, this joining of what God said he's going to do, and the people's promise to be faithful and trust him. See, there's still land to take. They've now moved into the territory, but you know, it's one thing to conquer, it's another to stay faithful. And so he wants them to remember the goodness of the Lord, to frame their present circumstances in the light of his past faithfulness. Now, the only reason he's doing this is because this. They're in danger of forgetting. And he won't let them. You know, we are in danger of forgetting too, aren't we? We live in a, what have you done for me lately society? What's the latest thing that you've done? What's the latest blessing? It's all too easy to forget the good things that have happened. His blessing and goodness. How he was there for me during those tough times. The result is that we fear the future because we're blind to the past. And so Joshua says, don't start with what you have done for me lately, but rather start with what you have done for me already. Let the past interpret the present and let the past predict the future. If God was faithful then, he will be faithful now. God does not change. His promises always come true. You know, we are often on the precipice of faith. And we're continually challenged who to trust. My job is difficult. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. They're laying off people. How should I manage myself in this company? Maybe my marriage. We're having challenges and difficulties. I don't know if we can keep this together. I don't know what tomorrow holds. Maybe friendships that are strained and fractured. How should I behave? Lord, can I trust you with this friendship? Or should I take things into my own hands? How about my health? I'm sick. I have this disease. It's come back again. I can't seem to get well. How much can I trust you, God, with my health? How do you and I stay true to the Lord amidst the challenges of life? If you are a Christian, the answer is simple. Remember what he has done, and remember what he has given you. As he brought the Israelites out of slavery, so God has brought you out of spiritual slavery. He's brought you out of the slavery and the penalty of sin. He's raised you from the dead spiritually. He's resurrected your hearts. And he says that he'll never leave you or forsake you. He will be your advocate and your shield and your defender. Remember the inheritance that you have, a new name, a new destiny, a new hope for the future, peace in your heart amidst the storms of the world. See, Joshua brings us to a point of order. The foundation of their commitment and ours needs to be the trustworthiness of God. Do you know his faithfulness? Do you lean on it? Maybe the reason you're having trouble in your faith is you have forgotten. You haven't recounted. So you're rather focusing on what he hasn't done. And focusing on the hardship. Rather than the God who is leading you through the hardship to the other side. You know, it was interesting when I went back to Managua, I had a little bit of PTSD. Uh, I haven't been back there since Leon and I had adopted Maria. We have a daughter who's... And Managua, as they said, is a place of poverty, it's a place of corruption, uh, it's a place of danger. And Maria was born there uh, into an orphanage. She was found and brought to an orphanage, which is pretty much the bottom of the social ladder of anywhere you go, particularly Nicaragua. She had no education. She couldn't see, really. Her vision was horrible, Though we didn't know it until we got her checked. As a result, she hadn't been able to learn anything. She had no education. She even had problems with her speech. See, there was one future for Maria in Nicaragua. She would end up on the street abused and exploited and alone. But God used us to rescue her and to bring her out of that land, to give her a new identity and a new family, brothers, to love on her, a new education, Glasses, medical care, love. But Maria, like all of us, it's so easy in this world to see what we don't have if we never turn and look back. You know, I saw other people in Nicaragua who had nothing and were poor, and yet there was a joy in them because rather than thinking of all they didn't have, they looked back and remembered the goodness of the Lord. They trusted in the past predict their present and hope in their future. And so you and I, like the Israelites, like Maria, must review His goodness. What has He done with you? What, is he, what do you possess with Him? A new name, a new identity, so many blessings will be faithful tomorrow. So how should we do this? 1 Thessalonians 15 says to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's when you're walking along and you see something beautiful. It's seeing your wife or a friend. It's sitting down before your dinner. It's remembering that sickness that you had years ago. Recounting the blessings, writing them down. I don't know what encouragement I'd give for you is to create what I call a Red Sea List. And a Red Sea List is basically a recounting of how God has worked in your life in magnificent, even miraculous ways. So when you come up against the Red Sea again, you can look back and see how He led you through. And it can steal you, and it can give you courage for the future. So look back. Use the Red Sea List. Look to God's Word, which teaches us His character, which teaches us his promises. And then finally look to each other. Redeemer should be a place where we call one another and as we see each other in the street, we're recounting the goodness of the Lord. How he's been good to me, how he's been good to you, how he's been good to the church. Because as you recount his blessings, it will enable you to respond with faithfulness. This brings me to my second point. Responding in faithfulness. After Joshua has recounted all of these things that God has done, in verse 14 he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. so we don't burn up. This is the God of the universe who speaks and it comes to be. Fear Him. And rather than whining, worship, but choose to serve the Lord. This word, serve the Lord, in Hebrew you could translate it work or labor, minister, serve as subjects. It's often, often used when one uses the word worship Him. See, service and worship Must affect my actions. How am I to serve the Lord? Sincerely and in faithfulness. Sincerely means completely and entirely in the Hebrew, not holding anything back. And faithfulness means. See, they're still hedging their bets. You know, it's that ace up the sleeve just in case things go sideways. I've got an option. I'm never saying, I, I did not mean I had an ace up my sleeve before. I would never play that way, hopefully, kindly Put away the gods. They're still among them. See, to serve God faithfully and sincerely, you have to put away all the other would-be gods. Because whatever you serve, Second commandment, Deuteronomy 5.8, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on earth below, or that is in water under the earth. You shall not bow to them or serve them. For I the Lord your God am a jealous God. What gods? I don't have any gods. That's exactly what they said. These gods are hidden. They're hidden statues in their place, but they're hidden in our heart, these lifeless things. You know, each god that they have represented something. There was the god Isis, this famous Egyptian goddess, had so many different aspects, but her most important roles was that she was the goddess of life and beauty. Her name comes from the Egyptian word Asset, and literally means she of the throne. In other words, she was the queen of the goddesses. Well, we may not have a little statue, but we certainly worship at the throne of Isis, don't we? If you don't believe me, open up Glamour magazine. Every single page. How you can be beautiful. How can you be the prettiest of the pretty. How you can be known and seen and envied, even worshipped. Isis may not be in our backpack, but she is certainly in our hearts. How about Kathira, the goddess of marriage and pregnancy? Women, have you ever taken and made your husband an idol, or if you're single, wanted to have a husband? Maybe put your worship into your children. They're an idol to you. They're everything to you. Yes, there is God. He's here, but my, I don't know if I could give them up if I had to. God says, put them away. What about Kothar, the skilled god of craftsmanship? You take great pride in your work and the skill you have, the ability that you have to get the job done. In fact, you're a workaholic. It means everything to you, it's your God. Everything else can go but that must stay. And finally, the Egyptian sun god, Ra, the most powerful, he could make anything. He made people, he made the world and he made the heavens. And such as you are drunk with the desire for power, An influence. It's that spot at the club. It's the corner office. It's the prestige you have. We have to put them away. You see, but you say, I don't have any gods. You're exactly right. You don't have them. They have you. You gave them your heart some time ago. Now we must give it to another. I'd like to tell you the story of Michelle. Michelle was an addict. Michelle came to Christ, and Christ has been working in her life, and so she wrote a testimony. I don't know her last name. Uh, She wanted it that way. This is what Michelle said. I have been addicted to methadone for 20 years, lost custody of three of my children, and tried quitting on my way way too many times. Two years ago, I noticed I was beginning to behave strangely. I started to think of God when I was high. It became my obsession. I would stay up for nights just reading the Holy Bible for hours at a time and doing online research to learn everything I could about Jesus and recovery. I would experience an overbearing desire to attend church while I was using I upset my boyfriend when doing this as he felt I was dishonoring God or being a hypocrite. It wasn't that I purposely wanted to do these things. There was something moving me to do them. Soon after I found a church, I started healing and growing and understanding more clearly. I began moving slowly away from the drug. For the next two years, God was moving in my life and working in me like never before. I noticed the blessings and healing in my life. When I prayed, He would answer. I was still backsliding and occasional using, but I never gave up on God. I would pray for recovery constantly. I would break down in tears right after I would take that first hit, telling God, hell I was living in, and break the bondage Satan had over me. One night after hooking uh, hooking up and being up for several days, I was tired, sick, and in despair. I sat outside in the dark of night with a pipe in one hand and a bag of dope in the other. I looked up into the black sky, thinking how this lifestyle was slowly destroying my soul. I had no doubt in my mind that I was about to experience a final blow that might very well be my death if I didn't stop using. I remember saying to God, what's wrong with me? Am I just too good at being bad that I can't be saved? Why am I still using? Why haven't you helped me? I know you hear my cries and see my tears. God, I can't do this. I give up. Lord, you need to come to get me now out of this pit of hell because I can't find a way out. Please save me. Save me. You said you'd never forsake me. You said if I abide in you and your words abide in me, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I believe your promise. After the spiritual experience, I lost all cravings for meth. God broke the chains and I stopped using for two months before I became baptized. For the next six months, it was like nothing I ever knew about meth, and it was like I never knew anything about meth and I never used it. No cravings, not even a memory of the drug. It was a miracle from God. I experienced his joy and peace for the first time in 36 years felt amazing. It was his blood on Calvary that set me free. I realized the battle of addiction wasn't really mine. It was God's and he had already won the victory for me when he died on the cross for my disgusting sins. His power and deliverance were always there for me. I just need to accept him and he would do the rest for me. God is so good. His grace and mercy are gifts to his children. God moved in Michelle's life in spite of herself. He brought her out of a land of slavery. He brought her into an inheritance. And Michelle will have challenges every day of her life, possibly. But she can look back and recount his blessings, how he's worked in her life. And she can choose not to serve the meth, but to serve God. You see, recounting blessings, my friend, moves us to responding in faithfulness. The gods that we serve have no life. So who shall I serve? I want a God who cares, who will love me, who will be faithful to me, who will never leave me or forsake me. I want a God who will never leave me. Always drives us to a decision. Joshua is in love with the Lord. He's burned his idols. He's crossed the Rubicon. Joshua's decision is if the sky falls in, if all turns away, if no one follows the Lord, me and my house will. See, worship is not a matter of emotions, worship is a matter of will. You can decide who you will serve. The emotions follow afterwards, but love demands a decision. Joshua looked in the face of God, he recounted his blessings, and he chose to respond in faithfulness. He turned away from the false, and he chose truth. And so, like Joshua, you must choose this day who you will serve. Men, me and my house will serve the Lord. You are the leader of your house. Your wife is looking to you for leadership. Is God the center of your house? If the sky falls in, will God be honored in your house? Women, will you stand for Christ? Will you follow his lead? Will you be an example to your children? Will you raise them in the godliness of the Lord? Singles, will you make him first? Will you throw away all other gods and cling to him and trust him? You don't have to choose tomorrow tomorrow is tomorrow tomorrow will take care of itself but choose this day who you will follow as for me and my house and to the best of my ability as for us and this house we will serve the Lord the conclusion is simple the natural response to the goodness of God is our service to God Remember his goodness, respond in faithfulness, and choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you are a God that is worthy of all of our hearts, all of our worship. Lord, we cast aside all these idols in our hearts, and we hide in the corners and recesses, Lord, help us to become servants of you, to give it all to you. Open our eyes to the many blessings that you've given us, the road that you've led us through, all of the troubles, and yet you have saved us. Give us the strength and the courage to respond. Give us the ability to choose. This day, we will serve you. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.